When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Breakpoint Show, where we will dissect every angle of the upcoming tennis docuseries by Netflix. It is currently January 10th. It will be released its first five episodes three days from now on Friday, January 13th. And we are so excited to begin this series now, which uh, we plan on continuing throughout the hopefully multiple 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 seasons of this netflix docuseries this uh the gilgross youtube channel the exclusive video home and the exclusive audio home over at cracked rackets i am gil gross host of, of monday match analysis um alex who are you is the real question we want to answer it's a question I've been looking for the answer to my entire life. I am Alex Gruskin, editor-in-chief of Cracked Rackets, and I am so excited to be doing this show, not only because we have that exciting Netflix docuseries coming up so shortly, but because you and I have been looking for any excuse to host a show together since we really first spoke, and let me just say, probably my most successful slide into the DMs in my life. Uh, I'm really excited to break everything down. I'm excited to see how, not just tennis fans, but broader, more broadly, fans of docuseries, fans of sports react to seeing a behind-the-scenes look of what it's like to be a professional tennis player week in, week out. Now, we both know some of our fans follow the tennis world day in, day out, and they'll be aware of some of these stories. But of course, we are looking forward to taking a big picture look and trying to take ourselves out of the tennis bubble as we examine this. I think it's going to be really fun. Some of our fans follow tennis day in, day out. Uh, well, some follow right. it every other day. Let's be clear. Some like, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's a day of rest in between. You're right. We want to bring in the casuals here. We are doing a TV podcast uh, from a perspective of diehard tennis fans who are in it and and love it as much as anyone else. But uh, you're, you're totally right. This docuseries is literally about... Uh, bringing in new people, and it's going to be fascinating to keep track of that and um, understand how that may or may not happen. Um, if I didn't say it before, we'll be doing episode-by-episode episode breakdowns um, throughout this this show, and again, it'll be released in five-episode batches, the first coming this Friday. Uh, every three days, we'll have a new episode. All right, let's start here. Well, can I just, uh, just say, welcome to the Cracked Rackets schedule, my friend. You're, oh, Monday match analysis. It's once a week. We're going to record three once a week. No, no. Once every three days. Quickly, can we explain why we're not doing every day? Why that made sense to us? Sure. Yeah, I just think it's important to note that this is a Netflix series, and the first five episodes are going to come out in a bunch, obviously. 
why we think it's better to take some time is we want to let these episodes breathe. We want to allow, you know, again, not just the hardcore fans who will consume it all at once. It's worth noting they're dropping it as the Australian Open begins, which is just a nice little middle finger to Gil and myself just to make things that much more difficult on our end. But again, I think it's important to let these episodes breathe, to process what you're seeing, and then God willing, maybe you fall in love with the player and you follow them during the Australian Open. I think that is a really cool experience available to fans. If you really love Gruskin and I, (laughs) don't binge the series (laughs) in one sitting. Every three days you watch one episode and then you watch the Breakpoint show. After uh, after watching Breakpoint, of course. Uh, here on episode zero, we are going to go through uh, the episode-by-episode episode summaries, the plans, who they followed, and just kind of talk about what we're going to be looking for as we watch it and what we're excited for and maybe what we're concerned about as well. <laughs> uh, we are not affiliated with the producers of this show in any kind. I think that is uh, worth noting as uh, we will not be conflicted in uh, – in any potential criticism uh, of the series. We all hope it's good. That's true, but let's be clear. Season one is the only season we hope that happens, and I am ready to be conflicted, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) You you have a price. There's a price tag on Gruskin. One producer credit, and I'm in. Like, come on. That's that. It's not even money. You just want want your name to flash up on that screen. (laughs) There is a hope. I have a hope that I am in the docu-series, um, not, oh, uh, not not this first five, but come the next batch, and I, I'll use this as a tease. Remind me to say it before we wrap up here. I think there is a chance, a small one, that I am in this. So you've told me this story off-air, and I will obviously look forward to hearing it again on-air at the end of this show. I'm glad you said small chance, because that's a little bit of a tease and a double entendre of why you think there's a small <laughs> chance you're in the docu-series. And so, yes, I I will be salty, but God willing, we see your smiling face. <laughs> <laughs> we got to start here, because this is a TV podcast— and I don't consume any TV podcasts. Uh, we need to tell the audience our our TV viewing habits, our ways, our favorite shows. Uh, what is your television background and your consumption <laughs> habits? My television background has slowly diminished. Uh, I would say the older I've gotten, mostly because I spend most of my time watching tennis. And I know Gil asked me, who am I earlier in the show, but at Crack Rackets, for those of Gil's fans who may not have seen any of our work, we're obviously fairly ensconced on the daily tennis beat. We cover the ATP, WTA tours day in, day out on one of our podcasts. We do plenty of work in college tennis as well, two shows a week on our podcast, as well as multiple broadcasts. I've been fortunate enough to be able to head out to Tennis Channel to do some work on T2 as well. So a lot of my time is watching this tennis, and I think that will be enjoyable for the sake of this show in the fan and the sense that I will be interested to see how the stories they display, the narrative, the you know, narrative that links all of these episodes together, does that comport with my memory of how the season unfolded? Will certain things align properly? Uh, I, I look forward to discussing that. Now all of that is a filibuster to say, what is my favorite show? It's a great question. 
I mean, Game of Thrones will always have a special place in my heart because the swing of the series happened while I was in college, and to gather around with your roommates and watch a show is one of those fun things you miss the older you get. I would say that's probably number one in the heart. Boy, what is number two? Gotta give a shout out to The Last Kingdom on Netflix. Great show. Uh, It describes in fictional terms the birth of the idea of England. And let me just say, can you imagine being the guy who has this idea and you're like, I think we should form England. And you're in this local tribe and they're like, what are you talking about? It's like, just like, what if all the tribes became one country? And everyone's just like, like, no, dude, that is... That's too much. And then he did it. And so I think it's fascinating. I would say those are my two shows. I flip it back on you, my friend. Give me your TV background. All right. I'm totally lost on that second show. I've oh, never The Last Kingdom. It. You'll enjoy it. Netflix, you're welcome. That's a gift. Okay. So my my TV background, and I, I actually shared this on a, on a recent episode of The Mailbag um, in the off season where there was no tennis to talk about. Um, now, first of all, what you said about tennis being consuming, guys – and I don't know how many people who are new to tennis are going to be watching episode zero, but this is the most consuming sport in the world. It is always happening. It is <laughs> just part of what the sport is. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it takes a lot away. Uh, I have some friends who are very into TV and essentially, uh, I watch very few shows, but I listen to them and they will, te- if I get a few of them in my ear saying, Gil, this is an all time great. This is going to knock your socks off. You have to watch it. Those are the shows I watch. So I actually think despite the fact that I, I don't watch a lot of TV shows, um, I, uh, I keep it quality. I keep it quality. And my, my favorite, my top three okay. is uh, Breaking Bad, number one, Succession, which is still in progress, number two. Um, and number three is kind of a, an interesting one because it is a cartoon, but it is Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh, wow. I have no shame about that. I think, uh, anyone who's watched the series understands why I am there. So those are my top three. Uh, I will say I'm a huge sports documentary guy. It was a goal of mine over the pandemic to watch every single ESPN 30 for 30. And I put them into tears. I still have the notes on my phone. Uh, I have, you know, uh, incredible good, average, bad, can't, can't even watch, right? Um, I did not get through the entire 30 for 30 series um, because it is absolutely massive at this point, but I did try and I love sports documentaries, which uh, has me very excited for this. I'm glad you threw Avatar in there because that shows the age difference. That's like three years past me, which is the gap between us. And for us, my generation it was justice league shout out the original batman superman i think the voice of batman recently died which was very upsetting and i was asking my dad if my grandma has a flag at her house i was like i should go put it at half mass right because the voice of batman died like this is a serious loss in our household that request was denied but no i mean i'm glad you bring up sports documentaries it will be interesting to see if this turns more into a documentary than a docu-series, uh, you know, how much will they do documenting tennis's past? How much will they take the time to None. introduce the sport? Yeah, I don't think they're going to spend much time doing that. And so it, it, it's it's going to be more of a series than a documentary, and I think that's what makes this fascinating. Yeah, I mean, this is Netflix. This is not yeah. Ken Burns. <laughs> so uh, we should not be expecting. Well, you know what? I'm going to call it now. Brian Koppelman will be a guest before we hit 20 episodes. Locked in. <laughs> okay. 
All right, let's get down to business here yeah. with Breakpoint. Here is what we have so far. Um, we have a trailer. We have episode summaries. And then we do have some members of the media who have watched the series and have written about it. So let's get to all of those things. Uh, we are with the people, okay? <laughs> we we have no interest in in this, okay? We want season to... one and never again. Gil's line. Exactly. This is the only season that's <laughs> happening, listeners slash viewers. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, the trailer. The first trailer that was released was literally dramatic music, a bunch of <laughs> images, breathing, one grunt. I mean, there was literally nothing to be taken no, away No, there from. were words. There were words. Just words on the screen. I Like, you had to read, I'm saying. Oh, okay. But, yeah, okay. no words spoken. Well, in the second trailer, there were words spoken. <laughs> I actually think there's kind of a lot to go over. So uh, I believe the video we can't play because of copyright, but Westoff, if you want to splice the audio in here, of trailer number two. You step on that court. Time stops. Your heart starts beating faster. The hardest thing in sports is expectation. We've been blessed with an era of greatness. Roger, Rafa, Serena, Novak. Who will take their place? I want to be number one in the world. In tennis, you were out there by yourself. It's not easy to manage all the pressure. The expectation for me to be the next big thing is massive. I know how much work I've put in. I'm chasing a dream. This tournament can change your life. Your body doesn't know what it's about to face. Serena Williams. She's the favorite. I'm the underdog. I have to dedicate all my life to the sport. It's now or never. We need to find a way to win. Fasten your seatbelts, ladies and gentlemen. Little Netflix series and shit. Let's get it, baby. Um, there's a couple things that I want to talk about. Uh, I think, let's start with Nick Kyrgios. Um, he says, the expectation for me to become the next best thing is massive. That is one of the quotes in the trailer from Nick Kyrgios. The expectation for me to be the next big thing is massive. Is that true? Like, did we get just our first slice of like curios lives in an alternate reality in this second trailer so i rewatched the trailer six times in 30 minutes leading up to this show and it's like a minute and a half so it really wasn't that hard to do but six sounds like a big number so shout out to me um i knew you were gonna bring that up i knew you were gonna say it the joke i had in mind was look that's a true quote if it's 2017 like at one point nick curios for perhaps casual fans who are not as familiar with his career. Last year was more of an uh, aberration than it was the norm for Kyrgios, for him to be as competitive as he was for really six consecutive months to end the season from June all the way through. 
that was the best five-month run we have seen from a guy 27 years old who certainly has had the talent and at one point was in that conversation. And look, if you're ever in that conversation, how could it not get stuck in your head? But no, of course, in 2022, a year a teenager reached, uh, won his first slam, reached world number one in Carlos Alcaraz. The tennis world has moved on. Now, to casual fans, what was one of the biggest stories of 2022? It was Nick Kyrgios. And seeing what he did at Wimbledon, just about everyone in my life texted me the day of the Tsitsipas Kyrgios match because I think it was on a Saturday. Everyone was watching because there's not a lot of sports on in the United States in the middle of the summer. And that was a moment. That was a moment tennis hasn't had in quite a bit of time. And so is the quote correct? No. Is the sentiment wrong? Not exactly. That is a great breakdown, my friend. Um, I <laughs> I'm would not throwing be surprised. heat. I may not have tier one of ESPN <laughs> 30 for 30s, but I watch tennis, Gil. Uh, so you make such a good point about how this actually was true. Like when Kyrio showed up as a teenager at Wimbledon, beat Rafael Nadal, uh, made the, the Wimbledon quarterfinal. Uh, I think eh, I'm not going to guess the year. Do you remember what year that was? No, it was like 11 or no, no, no. Sorry. It was like 13 or 14, maybe 15. Exactly. Exactly. So, so quite a, quite a while ago, uh, evidenced by the fact that uh, we aren't able to pinpoint the year exactly, but uh, that was true about Nick Kyrgios. He might've been talking about that time. Like this is what we need to understand when you are cutting up a trailer like this, yeah. you are taking stuff out of context. Yeah. Um, so we'll have to see, but that was also, Former World Junior number one, former Junior Slam champion. Yeah. When he, he made that quarterfinal when he was around 20, 21 years old. So, again, that sentiment was expressed, but not in this world, not in this season. And he's clearly and obviously, even at that time, so talented that, yeah, there, there was a lot of expectation. Can on I him, offer the... one more insight? Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was this... going to say the key, the key thing that you said also in your response is he is 27. Yeah, you know that is very old in in tennis. So there's no expectation that a 27 year old is now going to be the the next big thing in terms of at least from a winning standpoint. He's six months older than me, so you just hurt my feelings. But I understand the sentiment you're expressing here, so I'm not going to hold it against you. Here's the other insight I would offer, and a quote like this, and Sakari, which I'm sure we're going to talk about, saying she wants to be number one <laughs> in the world. Um, Tennis players are the center of their own universe. They always have been. They were the best kid in their community since they were 9, 10, 11 years old. And there's a tension that comes with that. Of course, in the case of Kyrgios and many of these players, they weren't just the best in their community. They were the best in their country. They were, in the case of Nick, again, the best in the world at some point in his career. And tennis is an individual sport. You have to be a bit obsessed with yourself. You have to be a little bit selfish. You have to make the time in your life. If you're not hitting 10,000 forehands, you know, your age 17 season, someone else is, and you're just not going to get better. And I do think that is a sentiment that may come a little, I think it's going to be a little surprising. It may be, dare I say, even at times off-putting to some people to see how self-centered you have to be. And I don't say that in a negative context. I say that in the sense of there, there are no teammates for these players to rely upon. And look, 
Tennis players are also crazy. You have to be to be have this sort of success. You have to convince yourself that you can be the best in the world. And I think that's a sentiment we see early in the trailer. And it's not going to shock me at all to see every player give some sort of quote like that over the course of this series. Even like on a localized level in tennis that exists. Like yeah. even like in my small community, I grew up uh, a suburb about 50 minutes north of, of New York City, Westchester, New York. I grew up um, in a town called Chappaqua. Even in Chappaqua as we were growing up, uh, four guys, including myself, all thought that we were the best tennis player <laughs> in the town. You know, like that's just how it goes in this thing. Uh, unless someone really marks their marks their foot down and, and beats you a bunch. So, Well, let the uh, record show point. New York juniors soft. All the good ones moved to Florida anyways, so <laughs> f- don't hold it with any you know salt there, folks. That That's not untrue. <laughs> Druskin, you mentioned Sakari. The producers of this trailer did her so dirty, okay? <laughs> Andy Roddick is up there. He <laughs> says, Rafa, Serena, Roger, Novak, cut to Maria Sakari. Who has won one career title and it was in 2018 in Rabat. I want to be world number one. I want to be number one in the world. Ra- Rafa, Roger, Serena, Novak, cut to Sakari. Like, that is just uh, Maria there said nothing wrong, but of course that is going to generate some, some buzz because of like how they did that. I love the quote. I love the honesty. Was it Roddick or Anacone's voice? I thought it was Paul Anacone when I was oh, listening to oh, the trailer. I, think, I actually think you're right. I think it was Anacone. I yeah, think right. and for the record, that part of the trailer was exceptional. They <laughs> nailed that like 10-second stretch of showing Roger. I, I They showed him twice consecutively. They showed them, and then they had Anacone saying who was who, um, which is just hilarious to me because it's like, look, if you don't know who those four are, we're in trouble as a series, as a sport, uh, as a p- vox populi, or whatever that word is. Um, anyways, I thought they did that beautifully, and I thought the sentiment was correct. Like, tennis's water has been carried for the past 20 years by Federer, by Serena, by Rafa, by Novak. Who is the next person who's going to carry the water? Who can be that next sort of global face for the sport and I do like the sentiment being expressed by Maria Sakkari, who, let's be clear, 2021 French Open was a heartbeat away, two points away from reaching the final. She reaches the final there. Who knows what happens? You know, she's been in the top 10 conversation for two consecutive years. And it was a moment of honesty, which is all we're asking for in this series. Like, just tell the camera what you're actually thinking. And again, all of these players think they can be world number one. Why would you be competing? Be like, you know what? I think I could be a really good 17. Like, at that point, you've lost. And certainly for someone like Sakari, you mentioned the one career title, but she's been so close to that number one spot now for a couple of years that it is reasonable. That's the the only jump she has left to make. Again, the glass half full perspective on the quote. And yes, she was done dirty because it's just like, Everyone's going to see that quote because those 10 seconds prior really grab you in as a fan. But I like the honesty. And if that's the tone we're getting from this show, then we're in good shape. Yeah. And I, I don't think it would have been a big deal if they didn't cut it like Roger Rafa, Serena, Novak, Maria. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and thank you for providing extra context on on Sakari's career because uh, the fact that 
her only title came in 2018 and Rabat Morocco is really not representative of how good a player she is. Um, that said, I, I do think uh, from a tennis standpoint, her goal needs to be to win that second title this year and not focus on becoming world number one. Um, but let's move on. Um, you mentioned Taylor Fritz in the first trailer just had a yell in the tr in the thing like he just yelled right and that was in the trailer uh i think we need to point out that in the second trailer they put that in again <laughs> yeah it's taylor fritz on the training table he's on the training table presumably at indian wells and let's not get too much into that rabbit hole of what happened and he yells again so were you happy to see that fritz's agony and pain is not just in the first trailer but also in the second Yes and no. I mean, no. There's no no. The answer is yes. You get to see again. You're going to hear some noises. You're going to see some things. And it's – I don't want to rip on Taylor Fritz, who's a really nice guy and has been kind enough to come on our Crack Rackets content before. Some of these tennis players are simple in the sense that all they are focused on is being the best tennis playing version of themselves like I have no doubt in my mind Taylor Fritz is going to become the best version of himself because he is singularly obsessed with playing the sport of tennis you're gonna see some primal moments is what I mean by that is that you know again because this is what these players do they let they are fully ingratiated fully ingrained in the tennis world and you know some of the casual mannerisms that may be unaccepted in civilized society they just don't exist in pro tennis like you're gonna hear some noises you're gonna see some things and i think that's the case again some of these players are crazy they're gonna yell at themselves you're gonna have a self monologue that's how it works in this sport i guess i'm wow that's some projection there lock that take in but i think that's what that that yell is about no i think it's about his uh his ankle injury yeah, but I mean, but at sure. the end of the day, look, th that's what this is all about, right? It's about taking the cameras into places where the cameras were previously not allowed, like the training room, and, and seeing these moments. So I understand why it's in both. I think that that's notable. Uh, another thing that caught my eye about the trailer was Felix Ojeali-Assim, mm -hmm. who, who said that he's been training for this his whole life. And now you cut to a shot of him in his childhood, which is cool and like it's good but here's the thing felix is a righty okay in this childhood shot he hits a lefty forehand so i i tweeted this you can follow me on twitter at gill underscore gross uh gruskin is at al gruskin um and i was like what the heck's going on felix was was a lefty it turns out that uh it seems like the filmmakers have have probably lied to us and felix was in fact never a lefty well I'm glad you point this out and let the record show, as I was watching the trailer six times before we recorded this episode, all I could think to myself is, what am I going to say about this trailer? Like, it's really just a minute and a half. I don't know what I'm going to do. And shout out to us for 20 minutes on a minute there and is, a half. I'm sorry. There is plenty to talk about. But this is also serves as a very good representation of what this show is going to be. If we can go this long on that minute and a half, you could imagine... <laughs> Uh, how easy it's going to be for us to talk about this show. Well, I thought I was just seeing something incorrectly with how Felix clearly was hitting a left-handed forehand in that video. And 
all I could think to myself is, okay, like the camera's tricking me or I'm just looking at this wrong. And then on the fourth time, I was like, no, it's still there. Like he is swinging left-handed. Mm-hmm. And that is fascinating. And it's a little insight into, are we going to hear from Felix's parents? Like we wanted him to be able to be strong on both hands. There's this, uh, there's this junior, what's his name? It's like Theodore Davidovich or something. Yeah, I know who you're talking who, about. Yeah, has four hands on both wings as well. And it's just like insight to some of the little tricks of the trade that some of these parents, some of these elite pros were utilizing to become the people that they are today. Like, again, singularly obsessed. He's hitting left-handed forehands. I know a kid who played for North Carolina, shout out to the Heels, who went down to a lower level of junior groups when we were like, because by the time he was 13 years old, he was the best player in our area. And he needed to work on his backhand slice. So he went down a junior group just to play only backhand slices for like two months consecutively. And it's like little things like that that normal people would never consider. That's what these guys and gals do. Like that's what makes it so exciting. We're both fans of the Formula One series, Drive to Survive. And we've both watched it. And the success of that show is the only reason we're here right now because mm-hmm. uh, this is what Netflix does. Talk about like, the words from the producers of Formula exactly. One's Drive to Survive. It's also just so funny because whenever Netflix has a, a hit, they literally just replicate Milk that it. bad boy. <laughs> it's so funny. I mean, the, the Firefest documentary was big, right? Where where they uh, – yeah, I mean, it was a phony, like, expensive celebrity music festival that was horribly organized. Not – of course, a year later, they come out with Woodstock 99. It's just like, oh, people like failed uh, music festivals. Like, let's run that one that's back. Amazing. So so that's basically what this is. Um, there was a moment in this trailer, and this is the last thing on the trailer before we move on. Um, a moment in this trailer that reminded me so much of Drive to Survive. It was the voice of Courtney Nguyen, who's a WTA insider. Uh, like so, so she works for the WTA and and uh, produces content on their website, um, and she'll be a prominent voice. She goes in tennis, hmm. and then she said something about how it's you know you're out there by yourself. I think she said in tennis you're out there by yourself. The words in tennis just so encapsulates what this is because hmm. when I think drive to survive, I just think about a British accent saying. In Formula One. (laughs) And then they explain to us what this is. And in in F1, that has been very necessary because it's it's complicated. And and the fact that we have an in tennis in this documentary, I think, tells you something. Yeah, well, I would also say my last thought in a similar vein is the clear intent and theme conveyed by the trailer is and again off work projecting a little bit off of a minute and a half but it does feel as if the through line for the series will be who can be the next face of tennis who can be that marketable star the way formula one to your point made daniel ricardo a star can this series do that for someone in tennis to where now you are a globally recognized face and to get back to the anacone quote we don't have to worry about federer Djokovic, Nadal, Serena anymore. We can move on not only on the court, but off the court to this next generation of tennis stars. I do think that will be the prevailing theme is trying to find that next person. Now, whether you're going to be able to do that out of anyone not named Alcaraz or Iga, that's a bigger debate we can have throughout the course of this series. But 
it is going to be fascinating to see how they try to sell each of these players there i say yeah and can can this give tennis the shot in the arm that makes up for the fact that it's just lost roger Federer and we think serena williams and then you know nadal and djokovic will follow at some point um quickly on kind of the the people who they've not the players right we're going to talk about the players that they followed in in a moment but the outside voices that they've gotten including courtney nguyen but i think notably uh, Paul Anacone, um, Andy Roddick, Maria Sharapova. Did you have any strong reactions uh, towards kind of the cast of characters that they've they've used to provide context here? No, because it's too soon to tell. Like, I feel like it's not only going to be those three. There's certainly, yeah. you feel like we're going to see Pam Shriver at some point, Chris Everett at some point, John McEnroe. It's, there's no way. John McEnroe is not going to have some sort of individual moment in this series that we discuss. Hmm. Um, no, it's too soon to tell would be my answer to that question. You know what? I'm going to go against you on this. I'm going to say John McEnroe will not appear because I think if if he was in it, he'd be in here. Like he's a because I think he's kind of a selling point unto him unto sure. himself. And by the way, he already works for Netflix. Um, sure. do, do you know that show? Uh, Never have I ever. I've actually really enjoyed that show. Three seasons in, um, McEnroe is actually, a, he's the narrator and it works. I, I know it sounds crazy, and but it actually works. He does a great job. And uh, yeah, that's a great point. Didn't think about it, but I bet if McEnroe was in it, we would have heard about it. Yeah, but, it's but not Adam Sandler produced, so he's out. Yeah, just, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe the, the price tag was, uh, was a little yeah, steep. A little I don't hard, know. Yeah. Um, how long do we know? And then we're going to get to the trailers after this. We talk about, is this going to move the needle, right? Is this going to replace the losses that are hemorrhaged from, you know, the departure of the big three? And is this going to reach casuals to the extent that the F1 doc drive to survive did? How long is it going to take? Do you think before we actually know the answer to that question of, is this working? Is this resonating? I think it'll probably be at the French Open that we, or maybe even Indian Wells in Miami, that we get our first serious feel of is this working? Because if the players who are highlighted in that series have a particular media following or a particular fan following, whether it be when they're playing their practice matches, maybe people are going not to the stadium courts to watch them play. I think that's when we'll feel the first effect of this show, or at least maybe see it. You know, again, if the numbers in for people attending these events are a little bit higher here in the States, in Europe, wherever these events are going to be over the next few months, sure, I'm sure if they are, we will hear about it. It's going to be really tough anecdotally, though. I mean, again, that's why I'm excited to do this show, because I know when something happens in tennis, people who aren't necessarily a gravitating towards the sport naturally they'll text you in your life right i know they text me whenever something like this happens that'll be an unofficial barometer i suppose of the success of this show but it's gonna be really tough to tell like i I mean what if espn is interested in getting the rights back as opposed to just the slams maybe that would be a tell sign at some point although i don't see that happening in the near future like I don't know. what In your mind, what do you see as an immediate payoff of this show? How do you know? How can we tell? I just don't think it's going to be immediate. And I'm not sure it was with Drive to Survive. Uh, this is just a crowded 
media landscape with content overload and and the way these things get big is obviously a bunch of people say hey that's good you should watch it hey that's good you should watch it i don't know that we are going to understand what this is probably until season two where we'll be able to tell okay uh season two is coming out does anybody care is there buzz uh you know, are people going to to watch this second season? You know, right now there's buzz. Right now it feels big, at least in the tennis world. But uh, the question is, obviously, does that break through to the the greater population? And that's going to be about people watching it and and kind of saying it's good. And notably, the only people who I've seen uh, do pre-release uh, reviews on it are tennis people. I haven't mm-hmm. seen it anywhere else. And uh, I, I don't really – I don't know that – we need to get into what has been said um, in the tennis world about it at this time, um, because I don't think it really matters. It's not what this is about. Like if Variety or I don't know, People Magazine or something did a feature on the pre-release, I would be very intrigued to see what something like that would say, because I think that matters. Uh, no disrespect to any of the great journalists covering our sport, what they think of the show and I appreciate their efforts. Uh, it doesn't actually matter. Yeah, is that fair? Yeah, I, I mean, I again, mean, I, I understand. And and let me be clear: it does matter it, that tennis fans enjoy this show, right? They need to enjoy the show. I'm not saying that that doesn't matter. I'm saying the success of the show hinges on if TV people like it or not. People who are normal people watching TV. Yeah, I the show will not be formatted for tennis diehard fans because tennis diehard fans were there. We saw all this unfold. We followed all the events last year. This isn't for us. This is a, I mean, some of the insights will be some of the looks at what these players are doing off the court, how they train, how frequently they train. Sure. We'll gain insight into that as tennis fans, even further details than what many of us would already hypothesize is the situation, but they will try to market the sport. Each of these players, they will, there will certainly be hyperbole in talking about the successes each of them have had. And that's the point, is to promote these players. Guess what? In promotion is often hyperbole. You're going to be sold as a hardcore tennis fan, a little bit of a false bill of goods. But if that false bill of goods helps build the sport by even 4% or gets people gravitating to the show, hopefully drives revenue to other places, that's a win as a hardcore tennis fan. More fans is a good thing, even if you'll feel you have to bring them up to speed on how things really are. Well said. Let's break it down episode by episode. There will not be spoilers here. Um, We are going to read these Netflix summaries and give a quick thought on just how good we think the episodes are going to be. And honestly, um, you know, we don't even need to get into what happens. Like we know what happens, but um, the purity of kind of watching this um, and understanding kind of how excited we are for the episode um, is going to be what's important here. So episode one is titled The Maverick. Hmm. Here's the summary. Nick Kyrgios comes to the 2022 Australian Open as the ultimate outsider. His massive serve is matched only by his short fuse. And while he's one hell of an entertainer, questions 
Questions abound about whether or not he's maximizing his talent. Once seen as the sport's next superstar, he hasn't played for months, and no one is certain if he'll even be on the tour next year. As Kyrgios struggles through the singles bracket, his childhood friend, Tanasi Kokonakis, is there to help him find the joy in his game once again. Can these two best mates pull off a doubles upset for the ages? It's an interesting framing. I mean, at no point has Nick Kyrgios ever been an outsider as it pertains to tennis. He is the perennial insider, a former world junior number one, a former junior slam champion, playing with a guy in Tanasi Kokonakis who's had a ton of injury issues, but was also, you know, who did Nick Kyrgios beat to win his junior Australian Open title? He beat Tanasi Kokonakis in that junior Australian Open final. And it's like, again... Did he play a ton of tennis in 2021? Has he skipped a clay court season many of the past few years? Yes. Has he ever been considered a tennis outsider? No, as the paragraph goes on to say. Um, He was once considered a guy who had future number one potential. And I think they captured the sentiment correctly. I will say more, more broadly, you know, Nick Kyrgios, it'll be interesting to see if they address the issues he's going, uh, he's currently undergoing in the Australian legal system as it pertains to a former relationship of his. And I think they owe it to hardcore tennis fans to cover that because I think that's certainly part of the story and explains Nick's relationship with tennis fans at large. But I do think, again, looking back at 2022, the consistency we saw from Kyrgios was unequivocally one of the biggest stories of the year, and it has to be mentioned. Yeah, and it, it all starts at the Australian Open um, with this doubles run. I will say, uh, first of all, I'd be shocked if they cover uh, the, the legal trouble that Kyrgios is in right now. Second, and, and we can talk about it after the episode, of course, um, this will be the, the, the singular episode that has the biggest gap between, you know, casual interest and hardcore interest. Because, you know, you're right, in the... In the die-hard tennis circle, there is a lot of resentment, not only towards Nick Kyrgios himself, but towards the attention that he receives. And the fact that he kicks off this documentary as the, all right, episode one, here it is, Nick Kyrgios, not just Nick Kyrgios, Nick Kyrgios doubles. The fact that he receives that platform is something that is widely and commonly resented. So I'm fascinated to see the uh, the, the response to this. Point. But but ultimately, Nick is a complex character, and this episode has the potential to be uh, to be really uh, illuminating. And I, I hope we get a better understanding of Nick um, as a person for better or worse as a result of this episode, right? There's a ton to unpack in the Nick Kyrgios story. You're absolutely right, and hopefully we get the opportunity to do that with him providing ideally honest commentary. I also would mention, to your point, you mentioned that resentment. It's a really good point for you to make. It doesn't just pertain to the attention he gets from non-hardcore tennis fans that tennis, the hardcore tennis fans resent. It's the wasted opportunity. There's a reason everyone's so compelled when Nick Kyrgios steps onto the court and plays. The talent is abundantly evident. You don't need to watch 100 hours, let alone 10 hours of tennis. You can watch 10 minutes of Nick Kyrgios and realize he has the ability to be, uh, ability to be better at this sport than anyone else, and he hasn't been. And that's a source of resentment because as tennis fans, 
we're asking we want you to succeed like we want Nick to be the guy in the tennis world because if he was it would be a better place and he hasn't been and it will be interesting to see if he acknowledges that and what his response is because over the years he's gotten defensive and this is the chance to tell your side of the story episode two is titled take the crown the Australian Open kicks off amidst controversy as protests erupt over the country's decision to deport defending champion Novak Djokovic. It's a symbolic moment as many of the past decade's dominant players are absent from this tourney, opening the door for a new generation. World number seven Matteo Berrettini and his girlfriend, number 43, Isla Tomjanovic, are each hoping to take advantage of the opportunity to bag their first Grand Slam wins. Uh, they'll need each other for support, though, uh, through the grueling early rounds of this event, because in a game that's played as much in the mind as with the body, it takes more than physical skill to claim the biggest prize. That is fascinating framing, and I don't mean to just jump in, but I suppose listeners can expect that from us throughout the course of this as well, me interrupting Gil. Um, the, that means that they had so much good footage of Berrettini and Tomjanovic as they were dating that they were like, we can't waste this. Like, we have to use this. Come on. We have a whole episode here. And, I mean, it's tough framing as Tomjanovic as his girlfriend, considering they have broken up subsequently. But it will be fascinating. And you imagine there's going to be some pretty cool insight into what they're doing during the course of the event, like what you do in your off time when you're trying to relax. Now, Tom, the framing of Tomjanovic as someone who has the potential to win a slam title is generous, but she has made a couple quarterfinals, I think three over the course of the past two years. And so she's been in the mix. I mean, the Berrettini storyline itself is fascinating because certainly from a face perspective, from a kindness perspective, from a results perspective, there's the potential for him to certainly pop. I'm looking forward to this episode because that Australian Open last year was absolute madness, and it should be focused on. Yeah, I hope we get some good stuff uh, from the Djokovic You think we're going to get Djokovic in the hotel, like under lockdown? No, I, I, I don't think we are. No, because I don't think Netflix would have had their cameras uh, or even been allowed potentially to have their cameras yeah. in the right places for that. I'm excited for this episode too, though. Uh, first of all, I like Isla and Mateo a lot, yeah. and I think that you know, in a show, you have villains and you have heroes, and I think that the more people know both of them, Isla and Mateo, the more people get to know them, the more people are gonna like them. Um, plus, like, they both have uh, good faces for television, so yeah. there's there's definitely that. But but here's my biggest thing on this episode. Yes, they were a couple. Yes, I want to know about that dynamic. An ATP player dating a WTA player. I want to see that. Um, the breakup, though, mm. that is like, I would be disappointed if we're following couple Berrettini Tomjanovic and we're not following breakup Berrettini Tomjanovic. Yeah. So I just hope we get the whole story here. You know how at the end of the movie, The Town, or some movies, they have like the post credit, like, or the post scene, like, narration like do you think at the end of the episode they'll be like three months later mateo and i like break up due to whatever like you know, like a little disclaimer at the end that'd be that would be incredible that's there's my producer credit send us the trailers or episode whatever. three yeah. episode three we skip february 
Mm-hmm. As you should. I mean, which is I amazing. Think- yeah, the hardcore. Te- you know what? We'll cover that when we get to it in the show. But that's amazing. Yes. Episode three is titled California Dreaming. Oh, man. Played against the desert backdrop of Palm Springs, California. Indian Wells is sometimes known as the fifth slam. It's considered a litmus test for the season. And with the relatively open field, some of the tour's best young players have room to make waves. For Maria Sakari, a Greek powerhouse currently ranked number six, it's a chance to overcome her mental demons and finally reach her potential. Meanwhile, top-ranked American male and California native Taylor Fritz could become the first American in over two decades to win his home state's most iconic event. As both players cruise towards the finals, can either seize this career-changing opportunity? Well, on the February thing, just quickly, that's kind of a slap in the face to Felix. He's like, you're not going to cover me winning my first title? Because that was a massive moment in Dude, the 2022 season. Again, it, it comes down to like cameras. Like, Are we yeah. sending our crew to Rotterdam? We're not. We should damn straight. We should be sending it to Rotterdam. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think so. Or like, what about the, the only reason I remember this this match so well is because I happened to be on a plane, red eye, coming back from the national indoor. Shout out college tennis. And so, for some reason, they were showing Zverev versus Brooksby in Acapulco on the in-flight TV, and like. That match was a mess. That whole Acapulco was a mess, but it was kind of still Nadal doing his thing, and, like, I'm surprised they didn't send a camera down there. There were just some things that happened in February that I thought they may want to highlight, but they were like, nope, we're good. We'll go to Indian Wells. We'll go to Miami. We'll go from there. Um, Yeah, it was a huge moment. Like, we'll talk about this when we talk about did they pick the right people, but I think one of the biggest storylines, Kyrgios was one of them th- throughout the course of the season. Finding the next headline guy is obviously, or, or and woman, uh, is the biggest story right now in all of tennis. But the rise of American tennis is certainly something. And obviously, Fritz wins this Indian Wells. It would, comes off the back of him having a really successful end to 2021 as well. And I'm sure they'll talk about that in the episode. I think you have to document what American tennis what happened in American tennis this year, if you want to genuinely tell the story of 2022 in the pro tennis world. And this is the best snapshot of it early in the season. So I'm excited for this episode. Once again, I do not think they will document that. So I I think... You don't think they'll show Fritz making the semis the year before? No, I don't. Uh And and I don't don't think they'll talk about Tiafo and Tommy Paul and Brandon Nakashima. Oh, and, yeah, I uh, you're so. so wrong. We're going to get right. the f- Sorry, am I allowed to swear? Did we I think so. I think All so. right, I we're just going to we're doing it. Um <laughs> we're going to get the best man montage of Ham Opelka. We're going to get the Ham Opelka Tommy Paul right. shirtless in Team USA. We're going to get uh some sort of story about the three of them forever and like the expectations on American tennis. We're going to get the Fritz making the semifinals. We're going to get all of it in that episode. Well, you certainly want Andy Roddick's perspective on something like this, so so that that will be nice um, when it comes to American. Do tennis. you? I'd rather have Colette Lewis's. Like Colette's the one who's been documenting their rise. Colette's the one who was with them in the juniors when they had the real moment. Uh, real American tennis fans know the real moment is when 
Tommy beats Taylor to win the Junior French Open. Riley beats Michael Emer at the Junior Wimbledon that summer. And then Taylor beats Tommy, Junior U.S. Open. Taylor goes on to win two challengers immediately after that Junior U.S. Open. Like, that's where all of this started. And I do think if you're going to try— well, the no, no. masses Here's do the thing, not though. care. They I do think they do care. because I think it's this idea of why should I care about this group of Americans? Why, you know, in our in our religion, why is this night different than any other night? You know, why is this group of Americans different than any other group of Americans? It's because this group has done it at every level. They did it in the juniors. They did it in the challengers. Now we're actually seeing them do it at the highest level of pro tennis. And we haven't seen a group of Americans succeed in each of those three stages. And I know that broke it down in a hardcore tennis way, but I think that's what justifies the hype around this group. It's why do we care? Because they have given us something to care about for so long. I can already see where our perspectives are a little bit different on this show, which is good, which is good. Um, I'm a little bit nervous about this episode and and the intrigue factor. I mean, yes, uh, uh, Fritz was going through physical issues as as he tried to to make this run, and and that will, uh, I think, be uh, fairly dramatic. But in terms of, let's say, the Sakari situation, I I think it's far more interesting how Sakari collapsed in terms of results after this Indian Wells. I think that's far more interesting than the fact that she made a run at Indian Wells. So I just want to throw that out there. Uh, Thus far from episode one and episode two, this is the episode that I'm most concerned about delivering. Uh, But, but we can save it. Well, it'll be interesting because I wonder if the cameras will be impacted by how freaking windy it was at Indian Wells last year. It's (laughs) like we had good footage, but it got destroyed. Um, so we'll see if that's uh, a factor. Again, that's another post scene credit. Uh, I think Netflix's twenty million dollar gadgets <laughs> and drones are. Gonna, You're telling uh, me they're they're not having Daniel Westhoff hold the camera up and say action. <laughs> uh, episode four is titled "Great Expectations." Mm. Spain's Paula Bedosa rocketed up the rankings wow. on her way to this year's Madrid Open entering the tournament as the number two player in the world and the hometown favorite. But she's been publicly open about her struggles with anxiety and depression, and the pressure of expectation isn't helping. Meanwhile, Tunisian trailblazer Anz Jabur has used her innate sense of determination and a wildly imaginative playing style to overcome a lack of resources. Now ranked number 10 in the world, she set her sights at the chance to be the first Arab and African player to win a major tournament. On the clay courts of Madrid, one of these inspiring women will stumble and the other will soar. When you said great expectations, I was fascinated to hear who this episode was going to be about. And the reveal that Paula Bedosa was the first name you mentioned, it made me chuckle because Bedosa did not have the best 2022 season. Now, uh, yeah, now she won Indian Wells to 2021, and she's still under the age of 24, 25. So there's a lot of bright hopes for Paula Bedosa, certainly moving forward. Jabur is a fascinating player to cover in this series because 2022, no one won the, uh, no one's entered the vacuum of the dearth of top 10, uh, top definitive top-end talent on the WTA Tour, more so than Jabur last season, who made two slam finals. We'll get into all of that. 
she had a year, and I'm fascinated. I want to see the contours of that year. I want to see where things popped for her, what's going on behind the scenes as all this stuff is unfolding. And, you know, you finish a year world number two. I don't care how successful you were before that. That's a life-changing sort of year when you make two slam finals. Just from a prize money perspective, you are now a definitively a millionaire. Um and so is Paula Bedosa, by the way, after winning Indian Wells and the uh, the the benefits and perks that come with that. I, this, I, you know what? They picked the right players. I'm in. Good episode. <laughs> I agree. Uh, this should be a good episode. I, I don't know about the. I, I understand what they're trying to do, right? So Fritz is from Southern California. They're going to follow him at Indian Wells. Bedosa is from Spain. They're following her at Madrid. I would worry about just kind of doing that repeatedly. And, you know, you, you do have to have a little bit more feel than that. But in this case, I'm totally cool with it. Uh, on Jabir, though, I want to know more about her backstory. The more you can tell me about her backstory, the better. Uh, because, I mean, it is undoubtedly uh, a very interesting one. I think, though, the biggest note that I have after reading the episode four summary is, uh, you know, just the skipping over of and there's going to be a lot of skipping i mean that's just how this is going to be uh alcaraz you know alcaraz mm -hmm. goes on this tear miami um through madrid and then here at, you know at madrid um he has what i thought was the the most impactful run of the season uh by by any player so uh the fact that that's not the focus is is kind of eyebrow raising uh to me uh but again it is and I have better eyebrows than my co-host. No, that's that's uh, a here. bold, bold term choice. But carry on. Uh, you know, again, Netflix is the producers here. You have to understand are predicting. They are deciding who to follow before these things happen, and they're hoping that it plays out. Uh, and I feel like you know, not getting on the Alcaraz train here, and and maybe the Alcaraz team was denying access. You know, but that that feels like a miss. Well. I might be getting ahead of myself because I did not read the episode descriptions. I like learning with all of you listeners what they are uh, here on today's show. But you mentioned Alcaraz without mentioning the player who was on a 37-match win streak during this portion of the season. And maybe that's episode five. But, yeah. like, you can't tell the story of the first half of the year without talking about the rise of Iga because on court, that was everything. Yeah, 100%. And... uh just as egregious, if not more egregious. No, I'd say more egregious uh, than the Alcaraz omission. Yeah, you want to talk about great expectations? 37 in a row. Yeah, yeah, it's insane. Uh, all right, episode five, entitled King of Clay. The French Open has never seen a more dominant player than Rafael Nadal, whose 13 championship wins coming into the 2022 season are unlikely to ever be matched. But two young players wait in the wings, both carrying pieces of Nadal's legacy. On one side of the draw is Canadian protege Felix Auger-Aliassime, ranked number nine and still looking for his first major win. Felix has recently enlisted Tony Nadal, Rafa's uncle, as a coach. On the other side of the draw is Kaspar Ruud, a Norwegian clay court specialist who has spent years training at Nadal's Tennis Academy, regularly sparring with the legend himself. Can either of these young men take down their idol on center court at Roland Garros, where Rafa reigns supreme? On the other side of the draw is Kaspar Ruud. Uh, that was good. No, I... 
look, Felix played him to five sets. Like, that became a story unexpectedly. Casper uh, obviously makes his first slam final there. That is a story in itself. You would love to hear as much as possible about what Rafa actually does at the French Open that makes him so successful. To see behind the scenes what his first week looks like versus what his second week looks like. Does he change how he trains and approaches each of these things? But, I mean, look, Felix, they did a tennis channel or tennis TV did a behind the scenes with Felix during the 2021 offseason and heading into 2022. So we got to spend some time with him in Monte Carlo uh, in December. He's very open. He's very much in favor of allowing cameras into his life and, you know, speaking candidly with whomever is interviewing him. I feel like Casper will be similar. I think this is going to be a very honest episode, and this is one that the tennis fans are going to adore. Yeah, you, you have kind of two uh, big figures behind these two players. You have Christian Rude, Casper's sure. father, who, who runs the show there, and he, he was a top 50 pro himself. And then you have Tony Nadal. Uh, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, though, in, in what you highlighted. Like, the fact that Netflix is not with Rafa mm-hmm. uh, is, you know, that that's the big deal here. What we don't know is do they want to yeah. be with Rafa? Uh, were they... Where they, you know, just denied access. And and let's not forget, Drive to Survive, season one. They were not with Ferrari. They were not with Mercedes. Uh, you know, there was no Lewis Hamilton in season one. And and uh yeah, the biggest the biggest team that they were following, I believe, in season one was Red Bull. They were given the the stop sign uh with the other kind of uh top contenders there. Um so I don't know. Are we seeing a similar thing or have the producers made a conscious decision? We are going with the youth movement. Everybody knows about Nadal and this is not our interest. Our interests are the guys trying to usurp him. I'm trying to think who the Christian Horner of this series then is going to be that raging. Christian Rude. Christian yeah. Rude. And now it's the problem is Casper doesn't have that chip on his shoulder. It's got to be someone with the chip on the shoulder. I actually, though, I've heard Christian does. Ooh. I'd love I'd love Christian rude to become the christian horror all right and just be like just be like you know oh god oh this is great. a disaster what would he say? this is me. a disaster and then he's just yelling <laughs> at how somehow the roland garros conditions are slanted towards rafa and that's why his son lost in that final exactly. even though it was just the worst matchup possible for casper on that surface it's gonna be a good episode because again there's a good Djokovic and Nadal match I'm sure they will talk about it Casper has some fun obviously Felix pushes Rafa to five sets I say obviously we'll see it in the moment good first five not great like there could have been again there's some low-hanging fruit they missed but definitely a good first five yeah uh I agree um I I think you know it's interesting for a slam I don't know you go you go, you know, two women prominently featured at Madrid that are that are interesting, and then you go to the French, and it's Felix and Casper. The only thing I'll say is there is some redundancy there. Like it's yeah. this, they're kind of in the same position, but uh, I am intrigued by their characters. Well, I think uh, that's why it's interesting. Two guys in the same position who maybe take different paths and how agree, they go about agree, it. And that's agree. why I like that. They're also very classy. Like we're yeah. not gonna get. Man, I mean, they're they're class personified, both of them. So we're not going to get a lot of spiciness. Um, although I guess we'll, we'll see. You know, Runa and Rude had that incident mm-hmm. um, where apparently they they kind of had a, a bit of a scuffle, a brouhaha uh, in, in the locker room. So uh, it's ultimately going to be moments like that that are going to be important for the show 
uh, to showcase, in my opinion. You need those those viral moments, those things that we are going to uh, be able to talk about after these episodes end. So, uh, once again, we are going to be breaking this down, dissecting this Breakpoint Netflix docuseries episode by episode. Gil Gross YouTube is the exclusive video home. Uh, the exclusive audio home is Cracked Rackets. Um, the feed is called Inside Out, but if you uh, if you look up on Spotify, Breakpoint, a Netflix recap show, you will find the audio feed. It will also be linked in the subscription uh, description. Rather, I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm going to say even if you want to watch it on video uh, or audio, go to the other platform and give us a little subscribe. Much, much appreciated and looking forward uh, to this journey. For Alex Gruskin, I am Gil Gross. This has been episode zero of The Breakpoint Show.